I know that sounds crazy to have like fucking horse people with their fucking cocks hanging out and shit being a step down, but like no, but see, I don't think Tucson heard it because only white ears can hear. No, I heard it. True. I'm half white. That's true. So Tucson heard half of it. Why do you think I got these hearing aids? Got to be able to hear black people in the night. Yeah. (laughs) Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the directorial debut of Boots Riley, Sorry to Bother You. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hello there again, everyone, and welcome in to episode 162 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with my friends Nick Cheney. Hey! Toussaint Egan. This is Peter Rosenthal, head film critic. <coughs> Sorry about that. I guess I just put on my... Uh... My my white voice for a second. You know, Peter Rosenthal is actually a person. And that yeah. sounded exactly like your black voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. It did. I was going to make mention of it, too. Yeah. You got to add some kind of tone to it. <laughs> I'm just saying, you got to at least like... See, now you sound like Urkel. You sound black now. Now that... That totally misses the point of the black... Of the white voice. <laughs> <laughs> that misses the point of the white voice? Yeah. Okay, I meant... You have to go in the opposite direction of what your voice is. No? That's totally the opposite direction of what... What do you mean the opposite direction? For of him or for you? I mean the film... Because uh, at least Nick gave it a try. Yeah. You just like, Alex, did your regular voice. Who else do we have on the wait, podcast wait, wait, Really today? quick, because I just... <laughs> not because I don't want to hear from her, but because I don't want to like... Who is her? Hold on. Well, we're going to get to that. But I don't want to just like throw it to you and then like never address this ever again. We're going to address so this. Really quickly. Okay. If what you're saying is true, then <laughs> why in the hell would they have casted white actors to be the voices and not just had the black actors do funny voices? I'm going to explain that. I don't need an explanation. <laughs> he's, going, he's going to think about what his explanation is over the All next right. 20 minutes. We will, we will table this conversation until you, I guess, are ready to address that. Okay. All cool. right. All right. <laughs> Who go. else do we have on the podcast today? Uh, our friend who's been on many an episode, and she rejoins us again today, Anna Bodizadu. Hey, Anna. Hello, everyone. <laughs> thank you again for having me on. And thank you for doing her normal voice, because this is a normal show. So it's fine. Awesome. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great to be white. <laughs> So, uh, if you haven't guessed, today we I'm are talking... I'm mistaken for not being white, but that's okay. <laughs> I thought you were going a whole different direction with that, but that's okay. I'm often mistaken for not being white. <laughs> today we are talking about... Sorry, the... I'm looking, apparently there's an entire article on every answer Tom Cruise has ever given when asked what his favorite movie is, or about movies he's watched. And this dates back to like 1999 where he gives answers that are so oblique in nature that it is 
genuinely concerning. Uh, <laughs> Wait, this is a trend? Makes me, <laughs> yeah. That makes wow. me uh, wonder if Nicole Kidman like stopped him up until that point to, to be like, honey, don't answer questions about movies. And then they got a divorce because she is a better person and Tom is yeah. crazy. And then like just word salad. Just, just do what, what Trump did when people asked him what his favorite book was. Just keep on saying the red badge this of courage. Isn't that far <laughs> off from like what Trump would say to a question. And I'm just going to read it since we... This is funny too because he's got... Even though it would sound very Steven Seagal-ish, he's been in lots of movies, so right. he could just say any movie he's been in. I was going to say, by nature, <laughs> the idea that he's never seen a movie is almost impossible, <laughs> but that's what he does <laughs> for a living. <laughs> so I really quickly just want to highlight this amazing answer. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Anna, for dancing. Really quickly, uh, I, I forgot what publication song. this is, but here we go. Uh, oh, from an interview with Movie Bill, whatever that is. So oh, here we go. that guy. Do you have a most memorable movie-going experience? And this is how Tom Cruise answered in full. Boy, that's hard to say, because I can basically <laughs> I look at my whole life in terms of films I've seen. To just name one, there's so so many films that have been memorable to me. I love movies. I can remember since I was a little kid going to the theater or the drive-in and what it meant to me when the lights go down and I'm just taken on a journey going to places that I didn't even know existed or different worlds that I wish were real. Incredible adventures. Drama, comedy, that's what I love. I love the genres. Yep, I I love the cinema experience. I prefer it with a packed audience. That's what we dream about when we're making these films too. Thinking of that group experience, there's nothing like it, and nothing like seeing it on a big screen with great sound and exactly the way it was meant to be. That has never changed for me. I love it. This is like Mark Zuckerberg being interrogated about Facebook's role in the 2016 election. (laughs) I was going to say that sounds like a high schooler's like freshman year, just back to school. How was your summer? Please tell us. And then this is like they're propped for like. Oh, man. I think about all the days of my life that have been made up of summer. I got to say that summer has meant a lot to me. I mean. Walks in the park, ice cream, <laughs> jumping in the local pool. Some days no, were good, but if somebody some days asked were bad. What your, yeah. what your favorite memory of summer oh, is, and just to say, maybe a little romance. <laughs> Who knows? The adventure's out there for you, kid. To me, actually, it sounded more like something his lawyer wrote. Yeah. <laughs> I assure you, he has watched the movie. Because apparently his answer would be somehow a liability. Well, I, have a, I, have a, honestly. I have a theory that Tom Cruise never shows up for media appearances, but what actually happens is he has a PR person mask. with one of the Mission Impossible masks on, and that person actually con- uh, conducts the And interview. that person is Ving Rhames. Yeah, well, I was going to say, that person <laughs> clearly never got... Like a high school diploma. You could have <laughs> just told him what fucking film is your favorite, and he could have said it for you, but no. He could have even said anything like The Goonies, and even if that's a fake answer, I'd be like, okay, Tom he could have said a fan of the Goonies. Top Gun. I mean, yeah. my thing is, if I could ask a question like that, mm-hmm. then I would be like, oh boy, that's hard, because then I have to think about all of them. But I would rather cop out and just start naming a million <laughs> than just never once <laughs> naming but, a single goddamn movie that I've the, actually Here's seen. the other problem. Tom Cruise, even though he's not necessarily in the all the way in the public image anymore, ever since uh, all that fun business back in the Oprah days, um, oh, he had to have gotten asked this question before, as he is oh, in he fact has. a movie star. Yeah. So and let me tell you, his this is, this is not it, that much better. This is his teased anything, out answer. Just getting longer. <laughs> he just he just keeps adding text to it. <laughs> So getting away from 
uh, silly white people. Today, <laughs> we are talking about the new film directed by and written by Boots Riley, uh, and that is Sorry to Bother You. Uh, the film stars... Lakeith Stanfield. Thank you, Tucson. <laughs> and I believe originally uh, Donald Glover was attached to be in this film. Donald Glover and even Jordan Peele uh, were originally like slated to um, star in the role that Lakeith ended up uh, taking <laughs> on, which is uh, Cassius Clay. I totally see Donald Glover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he would have been great. I could mm-hmm. also see Donald Glover doing like his own white voice. Mm-hmm. I'm just, yeah. I only say that because some of the things he had to do in Community were... Uh, Teddy Perkins. Yeah, like where he had these weird kind of characters and whatnot. Teddy fucking Perkins, man. Anyway. Yeah. So, anyways, the film stars Lakeith Stanfeld and also Tessa Thompson, who's been in a lot of things recently. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, Jermaine Fowler, Omari Hardwick, Terry Crews. Also, here are Danny Glover <laughs> and Army Hammer. Yeah. And, and then we also have the voice work of uh, some wonderful white actors. Uh, I mean, they're the real stars of this I was going to say, they don't get much work. So yeah. uh, David Cross, Penn Allsweld, Lily James, and then uh, they... Oh, even, wow, I forgot about that. Yeah, they threw a black one in there, Forrest Whitaker, too. Yeah. Um, and then also Rosario Dawson. Yes! Randomly, the elevator voice. And mm-hmm. I thought that was <laughs> one of the best parts of the film, to be honest with you. I didn't even recognize her. I didn't either. Yeah. I had to look it up later. Was yeah. Lily James, Tessa Thompson's... Yes. Wait, okay. So it was very um, minor. Right, because but... it only came up in that one scene, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then also Steven Yoon from, from the, the, Walking, for the Dead. Walking Dead fans. For yeah. all those people. For all yeah. those people. Hey, yeah. There's a lot of them. Yeah. I'm not one of them. They've dwindled. But uh, there's a lot of them. Well, they, I, they're still, dying off. I mean, I'm here. So. Yeah, you're here. Mm. You're still here. Yes. So. Yeah. Doing my Michael Shannon chest mm. grabbing thing for, for Nick right now. <laughs> That's Matthew McConaughey. Okay. This is Michael Shannon. <laughs> so, sorry to bother you. That's getting okay. back on track here. Oh, sorry. Uh, surrounds an alternate present day version of Oakland where telemarketer Cassius Green discovers a magical key to professional success, propelling him into a universe of greed. So, Toussaint, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I've basically been looking forward to this film since I first saw the trailer for it. I've never actually listened to Boots Riley before this point, and I don't think that's uncommon almost among folks. I mean, I think that this has been probably... For him and the coop, this has been a coup, ha ha ha, for them to have their music uh, introduced to a, a larger mainstream audience. Yes, Nick? Can I not make stupid puns? No, you can. Yeah. That was me laughing at it. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, so, yeah, I, I really enjoy like, what I knew of the premise, just the idea of a dark, like surreal science fiction horror vibe about telemarketing so obviously it's like it's not like a like a marvel film so i was really excited for it and i did enjoy this film although i'm not really a big fan of the the third act of it um i enjoyed a lot of the allegory in it i enjoyed that it had sort of this political conscious to it that is the through line throughout all of it and i really enjoyed uh the performances from lakeith stanfield and tessa thompson uh steven yoon uh and yeah even even if he's a relatively minor role, Terry Crews is also a standout role for me too, and a lot of really good funny jokes, like um, just 
like like later on after uh, Lakeith Stanfield's uh, character has a new apartment and he's arguing with his girlfriend about him taking on this role and basically betraying like the rest of his like coworkers, and Tessa Thompson just going is like, oh, you sidestep and you sidestep more than the fucking Temptations. Like that's a very funny joke and that's a very <laughs> black joke too. I could not imagine that coming from a white person. So I liked it a lot. Good. Yeah. Who's next? First impressions. Everyone's looking at me. All right. Um, <laughs> well, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, like Toussaint, I've been looking forward to it ever since the trailer came out. It did seem really intriguing. And um, telemarketing, I think, has been a plot point for like quite a few films that address like the monotony of like the working class. Mm-hmm. Um people in america um and myself having had an outbound calling job not quite telemarketing like the the stick to the script bits like really resonated with me because that's terrible to have a job like that was that from our uh alma mater no okay because i know that they had oh but but i did have that job okay yeah that was like the um i'm talking about like my my first job after college. It was okay. that awful job at that at a school. Yeah, <laughs> with, yeah. Of which I will not say the name even though it doesn't exist anymore. But um Enron. Enron. <laughs> no. Enron Enron Academy. Yes, Enron was definitely the school I worked at. Yeah. University of Enron. <laughs> nice. They just rebranded. Um I appreciated everything about this movie and I also appreciated that even afterward it just had me feeling so confused and so like perplexed and like hours after seeing it. And I appreciate a movie that you can continue to think about like moments after you've seen it. Um, I liked all the details of this movie. Like there were some shots that directly um, pointed out Tessa Thompson's earrings. That doesn't happen every time, but I do appreciate when that happened and how her art was like such a, um, a focus of the movie. And um, those were actually written into the actual script. The details of the earrings? Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. How about I, our shirt that said the future is female ejaculation? <laughs> yeah. Also pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just true. Well, um, it was a very, um, I, I thought that was pretty, pretty good. It's it's definitely something an artist in Oakland would wear. Um, I liked the setting of Oakland because certain parts of California, um, when they're addressed to not be like beautiful, glamorous, like Los Angeles or something like that, um, I feel like my frame of reference is like that type of Los Angeles, and then like the gritty part of like East Los Angeles. So this took like an interesting view with Oakland, and everything was super bright, and I I really enjoyed the setting too. Um, I thought all the performances were really great. Um, I thought the twist sure was something, and that definitely was the part that had me most confused as a viewer. Um, Like sexually, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it has an explanation to it, but it's. It's hard to it, – it feels so brazen and on the surface when compared to the otherwise, like, very – I think that it's, it feels more brazen on the surface as compared to some of the more cerebral um, explanations of the other elements. I always say that I, – I mean, I only make that noise. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really say anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only make that in response to the idea that it's any more – blunt and then the white voice well yeah and then all the stuff that came before which i mean mm. essentially is 
while I'll get into it later is mm. why I like the ending, which is that I didn't think it s- stuck out at all. Right. Other than the shock value of the imagery and mm. the uh, depth of the <laughs> conspiracy. But, yeah. But we can get to that. But yeah. Um, yeah, but overall, I did really, really like this movie. Um, I thought everything about it was really good. I didn't love it, but I really enjoyed it, and I look forward to seeing it again. So, you know, with a movie with this much detail, it always always helps to see it more than once. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought everything about it was really well done, and I look forward to seeing more from Boots Riley. Nice. We'll mm-hmm. see. I mean, that's the problem with these... Uh film creators on their first outing you oh, never yeah. know when you're going to see anything from them again mm-hmm. well so. if you get pipped up by a24 it's usually a good sign mm-hmm. see but i think that studio puts out yeah. gems pretty often yeah i really like them like i'm still waiting for anything from the daniels and i don't know if they're ever going to do another film the story so. of how boots riley actually got this film made makes me believe that he's going to be able to make another film because he was able to find a way to like finesse his way from like being a a musician to being able to like have a sit down meeting with Spike Jones to go over a script to talking to Dave Eggers um and yeah it, it it's really interesting just that whole story like look it up sometime it's awesome mm-hmm. so yeah good stuff did not know those people were even involved yeah yeah interesting so i was very much on the fence with this film because I was very interested in seeing it. I love the trailer, as I think most people did. Um, and I love the idea of, of all of the little details with the, the white voices, um, the idea of them, for the most part, their entire lives taking place in a telemarketing uh, job. I, I thought all of that and the rise of a common telemarketing um, employee... Uh, and pretty much crossing the picket line as they literally have a picket line in this film. Uh, I thought all of that was honestly fascinating. Uh, where I didn't love this film uh, is when this seemed to go in a few different directions and I wasn't loving all of them because uh, I said it both to Nick and to Sant. But I got a lot of feeling of the surreal, but trying to be on the nose uh, elements that saw in something like Idiocracy here, mm-hmm. where you have this sort of futuristic setting, but it's not really a futuristic setting. It's supposed to be just pulling the curtain away and showing all you idiots what. It's like, actually the world yeah, looks like. Yeah, because it's not like. future. This is supposed to be alternative. Right. It's like five minutes in an alternate future. Mm-hmm. Five right. minutes forward in an alternate future. Yeah. But there are a lot of elements uh, in this world uh, that I honestly just didn't really get much from. Mm. Um, the TV show they kept coming back to, I thought that was stupid. I agree. Oh. That, that was my least favorite part. Yeah. Maybe because I'm extra sensitive to depictions of... Television media, not because I'm extra sensitive and like, oh, don't pick on TV, mm-hmm. but because I've seen so many depictions of it and have thought about so many depictions of that kind of satire that right. this did not strike a different chord whatsoever. I liked it because it didn't feel all that divorced from reality. It didn't feel all that. No, it, I, I made a, it made a, a compelling case for uh, the plausibility of. A show like that, albeit how like 
horrifying and, and, and just base, it seems. Here's what I'll say about that running gag, and, and I hate that I'm bringing this up, mm-hmm. because as much as I truly don't mind the first season, I also loathe to bring it up in public conversation, but Rick and Morty, uh, Rick's D-Minutes mm-hmm. episode, the very yeah. first one they did. Szechuan sauce. Sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. No. I'm sorry. That's not what I'm talking about. Still a little bitter. We can talk about it here. It's okay. Um but that Rick's D minute episode where you where it's all improvised and mm-hmm. they're going through the channels and it felt like if one of those channels got stuck and we had to hear that same joke over and over and over again. Uh, I see. Because I don't mind the idea and the concept behind that joke. But we go to that well, and it's the same well, uh, at least four or five times over, which, yes, sets up the actual plot mm-hmm. mechanic of it, because then he gets to go on that show and whatnot. But I still felt like they could have showed it once, and we still would have got the same effect from showing it five times. It's like having an entire 30 minutes of the fake Doors guy, or an entire th- yeah. like entire 30 minutes of the guy from RoboCop saying, I'd buy that for a exactly. dollar. Exactly. When we do it in RoboCop, one of the oh. best things about that running... Uh, through line there is are like, multiple jokes yeah like yeah. we keep going to different shows and each one seems plausible and mm-hmm. ridiculous yeah. and I would have appreciated if every time we flipped to it it wouldn't be that the entire world is watching the same show because let me tell you something that doesn't happen anymore mm. like in Robocop it makes sense if that's the joke they went with because back then that's, that's kind of that's how TV worked yeah. mm-hmm. but if this is alternate day even if it's alternate nobody's watching the same shit anymore you have to ask people do you ever watch this because who knows where the fuck anyone can watch something and if they watched it and if they kept up with it. So, right. Um, the idea that th- – that's why it just felt a little stale to me. Yeah. But, okay. Uh, the other thing for me that I did not love uh, is that I honestly just thought kind of the script mechanics that went throughout this film just weren't that amazing. Uh, as I thought that a lot of the storylines that weaved in between – individual characters really just kind of fell flat for me throughout the film. Uh, And that's not to say that I don't think that this film had a very interesting and thought provoking message because I think it obviously did. It was very loud in what it was trying to say, but at the same time I'm judging this as a film. And I think as a film, it was just kind of messy uh, in that way. Uh, I will say um, I think when this film knows exactly what it wants to be, it does an amazing job. Um, I thought the entirety of the scene uh, in Army Hammer's mansion was just fucking brilliant. Um, that was, and I, I, I mean, I guess that's one reason to compare it because it's this, one of the same characters and it's a recent film that was popular. But you know, it really reminded me of the horror of the mansion scenes in Get Out mm-hmm. uh, that seemed like this is a labyrinth that I cannot escape from, mm. even though everyone's telling me that I'm the honored guest. It's a social and actual labyrinth. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, then he ends up at the, I mean, uh, and I guess it's getting into detail, but uh, even though it's kind of obvious and a little on the nose, um, the reveal of uh, people. sapiens. Well, the reveal that, they get that way by snorting it right after he snorted the cocaine mm-hmm. uh, was a, that was an amazing little detail. Uh, the second part of that is um, army hammer trying to tell him that it is definitely not that it is just cocaine and then giving him the offer on a piece of paper with a smiley face on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And I, um, I just thought that entire scene was so uncomfortable, and it was comfortably amazing. I also like that in that scene that he verbalizes the dick joke. Like, yes, we get to see the dicks, but also when he's, well, yeah, like when <laughs> he explains like the horror of it all, he's like, no, 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 and then he's like, before you say no, you haven't actually heard the benefits, and then he just says, you get a horse cock. I mean, <laughs> like that's all he has to say for that. Yeah. And I'll get more into that scene later because that was by and far, by and large, the best part of the film for me. But I was just kind of in the middle on this one. Hmm. I, I didn't love it, but I certainly want to see more from Boots Riley because I think, you know, when somebody hones their craft and finds what they really want to be, you know, there's a chance he could be a really good filmmaker. Um, but first time out, at least in my opinion, you're going to have pitfalls. And yeah. I thought there were some here. So. Yeah. Yep. I was also looking forward to this movie because I always look forward to movies uh, whose directors have the same first name as the Dora the Explorer character. <laughs> and hmm. um, when I saw the trailer, I enjoyed it. <laughs> Damn it, I'm so good. How long were you thinking of that one? A couple minutes. Oh, um, but no, I thought the trailer looked funny and I thought that this could be something special and especially with A24 backing it, I was happy to see them kind of put their weight, which they've been doing recently, but truly put their weight behind, I would say, unproven talents in, in the circuit of filmmaking, so mm. to speak. And um, I definitely think what we got was something worth seeing. Um, I thought it was pretty good. It's not perfect by any means, but man, was it a blast from start to finish. And it just has so much in every frame and every performance to chew on, um, even if just comedically. Like, remove the satire and remove the political consciousness, which is there in abundance mm-hmm. and is some of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah. Just as a straightforward, surreal farce, it's just a delight to watch. Yeah. Um, and I thought everyone pretty much did a great job. I loved Lakeith uh, Stanfield. And I... I always loved Tessa Thompson, and this was uh, no uh, different. Um, I kind of wish we got a little more Terry Crews, because mm-hmm. I thought in the fusings he was in, he was actually one of my favorite parts, so I, I could have used at least one more scene. He had that weird cross thing that I think, oh, like, my God, deposited thought... nicotine gum? No, no, no. It was for his diabetes. Oh it, was, it was insulin. Yeah. But that detail yes. was so good. It yeah. was kind of like the same recurring thing with um, Detroit's earrings that was like right. Terry Crews's earring. I yeah. thought that detail was so funny. It doesn't feel like something out of like a... This is, that doesn't feel like an alt-history, like an alt-universe thing. It just feels like a, what the fuck is that? Mm-hmm. Like, where the fuck did you get that from? Don't don't think about it. It's like, yeah. Whatever, yeah so. Absolutely. Um, and uh, for the most part, uh, I thought it was pretty great. I thought the first and third acts were the strongest. I thought in the middle, there were a lot of great moments, but I don't think... Boots, if I may, um, completely may. <laughs> completely nailed the pacing of it. I felt every once in a while we dipped in and out of a scene a little too awkwardly and a little too, like, because this is a surreal farce, it's okay to just jump forward, mm-hmm. and I didn't feel like that always landed for me. Um, but in general, I thought it was hilarious. I thought the bluntness of it all from the political uh, capitalism message to the um, obvious black centric uh, story was pretty much pitch perfect. I, I kind of feel like a movie about any of these topics in this day and age has to be shout instead of whispered mm-hmm. because I feel like that's kind of the climate we're in right now. So whether that makes it good or bad, I think it's a perfect reaction to what's happening right now. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, I certainly have a lot of deep uh, things to think about and say about like individual moments. But overall, I loved how this movie got off the ground because that first like 30 minutes, basically everything when he, before he gets the job and right when he gets the job, before he becomes the power caller, I thought was a pitch perfect um, surreal uh, comedy. Just him going through the motions of trying to live his life, make money, uh, and... Uh, his job. I mean, the montage where him and the random white dude. Yeah, his his supervisor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, like, where they they're weird. He, they congratulate each yeah, other basically, like yeah. over and over and over. Like I thought that was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like, I I will say that that supervisor and I looked it up because his character's name is Johnny. I thought he actually was pretty perfect for yeah. this. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily the actor, but the character. Um, only because. The idea that he's like their supervisor, but you could see that he's supposed to be like ex-drug addict, maybe. Yeah, he's really oh. grungy. Uh, yeah. yeah. Not just that, but, and I think this is kind of where Boots Riley is very smart in his message. But if you look around, and I'm not trying to say look for the white victims <laughs> or anything like that, because this is through and through a black movie to mm-hmm. the point where I feel like I almost don't feel like I have anything to say because whatever I have to say would just be better said by anybody who's not me and doesn't have my experience. Um, but a characters like him mm-hmm. are so obviously another extension of the, like the victims of a capitalist right. society where he thinks he's made it in a way mm-hmm. when in reality he might be even worse off because he's been put in a power of fake or a position of fake power. Right. Whereas at least the people like, you know, um, uh, Cassius and the Danny Glover character know where they stand at when they're there. You right. Know? They're the bottom and, rung. He's the, the next to bottom rung, right. but he's just uh, one level above them so that he, he, he's able to feel he good about more himself. fits the role of like David Keckner in waiting where he's the mm-hmm. manager of the restaurant. <laughs> that is quite the grab. <laughs> Not like it, like it doesn't fit. I just meant like, whoa. I haven't not thought, thought about that film in a while, but it's fit. Anyway, fine. but yes. It fits, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyways, yeah, that was, you know, someday you could be a manager. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the first thing I'll bring up is kind of random, but it was an interesting offshoot in this film that actually was one of my favorite parts of it. Um, and I think the interesting meta part of it is that it is super abstract, but it lets the audience kind of decide what they feel about it. Mm. And that is the entirety of Tessa Thompson's character is she is this aspiring actually is artist. Mm -hmm. And she's doing so many random things throughout the film. Um, But I actually really dug her character because I, I found that very intriguing because She's just part of the gig economy, man. Right. But also at the same time, like she actually has like an opening where mm-hmm. many people go and she does a very random, super abstract performance art. Performance yeah. art. Uh and, and 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 I just thought everything about her character was honestly the best written parts of any character in the film, even more than Cassius was, because I thought that she really had a grasp on or the director really had a grasp on what that character was, where Cassius had to do so many different things. You couldn't just settle on one character type that she could be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. I wanted well, to... Before, can I respond to what... Sure. So I thought you were going to respond, so I... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. You no, were no, just no. pointing to me. Sorry. Because well, yeah. I thought you were going to... I'm sorry. Yeah. I just really quickly want to say, mm-hmm. the thing about her character, and like particularly like the art gallery and such, mm-hmm. is that... 
I pretty much loved her performance throughout. Um, I will say her art show, like, I mean, I've seen that exact scene in mm-hmm. the musical Rent. I mean, <laughs> you know, like it's just kind of like that's very bare bones, mm-hmm. uh, cliche depiction of, uh, which is not to say that it's bad, but, um, you know, that's the bare minimum. But I will say um, what I love about her character and how she exists outside of like her actual art show, but just as a starving artist type character and who's trying to hold on to their very liberal ideals of what it means to be human and um, whatnot, is that I think what you're responding to is like how much you like that character. Is that because I genuinely think that there could be a companion film where the the other movie could be about her, where Cassius is just a supporting character in her life because you cannot talk about you know, uh, capitalism without talking about art because art and commerce go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the biggest tug of wars, you know, in existence that you could totally talk to, you know, end of all days with. Um, The one thing I did not like about her storyline at all was I kind of hated the Stephen Young character. Yeah, that part was kind of a... Um, The guy who played Squeeze. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the inclusion of that affair was. Kind I thought of that was bizarre because it was never brought up. No, again, at least there. not directly to cash. Not yeah. directly. This and movie thought, already has so many things it's trying to do. That right. Was, was just I thought that was really odd too. I mean, it was very clear they were setting it up from before, where he visits her when she's like shaker boarding, mm-hmm. um, and then of course they have an encounter, and then later it's brought up like when. Um, Detroit and Cash like kind of begin seeing each other again even mm. though she's like no and then like Steven Yoon just kind of doesn't do anything for the movie after that so I agree yeah. with you yeah. I thought that like that left me really confused too I'm surprised that she ended up with I know I know this this sounds bizarre given like the knowledge of like the structure of films and how they usually culminate it was, I thought it was bizarre given their conversation after that like after they, they hooked up and she talked to him about that like that they actually ended up together. It was just like mm, I thought of... it was weird too, but I feel like it just kind of made sense. Right, like in the, in the yeah. sense of like how a movie is meant to culminate and stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. What were you going to bring up? There are a couple things that I wanted to make note of uh what Anna was talking about with the depiction of Oakland, uh just the way that it depicts this fault line between uh destitution and gentrification. I thought that was very very apparent through like the entire depiction of that area um the whole worry-free uh basically model of that like i couldn't help but look at that and i'm, I'm supposed to draw these parallels like i couldn't help but look at that and think like oh this is like indentured servitude in a amazon fulfillment center i was like which that's uh, exactly right yeah, that's, yeah. That, that's but they it, also don't shy away from making the videos look like you are living in a prison it's just pastel colors right exactly yeah. it was just like so a, that was really good set design in yeah um and I, I don't know when the last time I actually saw a film that it actually depicted a, a labor movement like that. It's like it, it's not very common to see that. It's like when's the last time you've – can you remember like the last time you uh, saw something like that? You mean a movie that doesn't take place at the turn of the century? I mean a movie that actually About... so, that shows people organizing into a union and like – I feel like because you're asking me, no, I'm not going to remember a single Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> but in general yeah, – want to meet – yeah. No, 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 but in general, you're right in the sense that that's... It's not common. No, it, it's not mm-hmm. a movie you can sell to, not even, like, commercially, but just, like, to get an audience to want to sit there and keep watching mm-hmm. it. Like, that's, uh, you you know, you have to be something... You I have think, to be bold. I think it's only recently that, like, that sort of mentality and, like, the, the primacy and utility of yeah. unions has come back into, like, 
the general consciousness. So, I wonder why. Yeah, I wonder mm-hmm. why. Um, but I also wanted to talk a little bit about the white voice. Okay, before you do, <laughs> okay. I want to say one random thing about it that I don't think everyone's going to have a thought about. But yeah. I just want to know if I'm crazy. Um, I yes. thought. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the white voice as a comedic set piece was funny. Yeah. Like, I thought it was A, great casting, mm-hmm. uh, B, whatever. But am I weird? Because I want to know if anyone thought this too. I thought the dubbing wasn't very good half the time. Yeah. Like, I thought it could have been that's better. That's the point. It could have. Yeah, what do you mean that's I mean, the point? It could have been better. I think that's right. more, like, I meant to, I think that's meant to highlight that it's it's comedic. It's not meant to, like, match up with their voices completely. I, I can see it's, that, it's, too. It's, there, was, there were some, like, then. off-color things that were obviously meant to be funny. Like, Omari Hendrix. Uh, excuse me. Is that his name? Yeah. Omari. Yeah. Um, Mr. Bleep. Yes, exactly. Like, there is no reason as to why his why name is- should should be bleeped out and yet it is oh, no, like the handful part. of times it's mentioned yeah. It's, yeah I'm talking like I felt like there were scenes where I felt like I was watching an Italian gallo film <laughs> dubbed in English mm-hmm. where the delay was at like two seconds <laughs> I, I just meant like technically proficient wise yeah. I felt like the dub like I we're living in an age where like um, uh, the show Drunk History mm-hmm. airs once a week when that show's on and those dubs are amazing. Yeah, yeah it's they're verbatim. really good. It's verbatim. It's verbatim. Form, yeah. And I guess I thought the jokes would have landed a little harder if it was something more like that because technically these are supposed to be their voices. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it their voices? Is it just a voice that they put on? That they I mean, well, in universe. To be. In on. universe, well, these are their white voices. Yes. I think that compared to drunk history, the humor that comes out of that is actually seeing these actors like – following through verbatim what their actual story is like right. oh shit and it's like actually script wise yes but i just meant like yeah. dubbing wise i still thought i mean look at michael pina in ant-man he did it too where those were verbatim so good on cue whatever so i guess i was Loved trying those. to figure out why what was it directorially about i would say some kind of direction of it's okay if it doesn't match it completely obviously they're saying the same words but I don't think, like, did David Cross or, um, you know, uh, Pat Oswalt, like, see these dailies uh, in detail, like, to do it? Or were they able to just kind of, like, literally phone it in? I don't mean that as, like, a slang, but, like, do it over Skype and just kind of send their, you know, whatever. I'm not trying to use this as a get-out-of-discourse-free card, but maybe, and I know that you have, like, experience with this genre as well, like, but maybe it's, like, just a throwback to a very like grungy black exploitation aesthetic and where they're just like to, we don't really give a fuck we're just doing it I was trying to wrap my head it. around yeah. that but the movie is so polished in every other aspect other mm-hmm. than the CGI with mm-hmm. the animals which I totally understand because it's a low budget movie for what yeah. it was um, but I, I don't quite buy that I feel like it had to have been a direct reason as to like to add to the surreality of it or something like yeah. that which I can buy but I guess I was just was it just me that at least noticed that there was sometimes it just didn't feel like it was matching cut for cut? No. Okay. I think you're about right. No, I just because right. sometimes with my hearing or whatever, I think, well, maybe that's just me or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're talking about labor disputes in film, and are we talking about only films that surround entirely around labor disputes, or just a labor dispute that takes place within the film? I'm saying a labor Ocean dispute. Thirteen. That's what okay. I was going to bring up. Hell yeah. Yeah. Okay, and that's like a total side story. That's like that's a ten about, minute scene. I was going to say mm-hmm. so. Yeah, I'm so glad we both went. Yeah, there. we were on the same. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. I was. I was. I mean, that's that's valid, and 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 that that 
That's no. a good example. But, that, it's but that's not a good example at all. That's dug pretty deep for a random. It, it literally yeah. just is there for a joke. It's an that. example. Yeah, it's there, but it's just like it doesn't have any primacy in the actual like story. Absolutely. Like um, so, what are your thoughts on white voices? Uh, the, <laughs> and how's mine? The white voice in <laughs> wonderful in very sorry to bother you. Very convincing. And I've and I've actually like listened to a couple of like interviews with Boots Riley and Lakeith Stanfield about this. Now, do they use their normal voices when they do interviews? They use their normal voices. Yeah. Okay. And it it's basically <laughs> the scene with Lakeith uh, Stanfield and he's talking to Danny Glover's character like Langston when he first shows off like what a white voice can do. Yeah. And he says like, well, it's like you have to use your white voice. Like well, people already tell me that I've got a pretty white voice. Well, I'm not talking about like imitating people with white voice. I'm not. And he does the whole nasally is like, hello, this is Cassius Clay from Regal Views. Like it, you're not doing that. Like right. that's that was much better than your intro. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> Maybe I should have just like held my nose, but. Danny Glover actually explains it to him and just like, no, it's like you're not trying to sound like them. You're sounding like what they wish they want to be. And it's like you, you're sounding like it's like, oh, it's like I have all this money. It's like I don't give a fuck about this job. You you talk like you're about to jump into your Lamborghini and you're about to head out because you don't give a fuck about this. And that's that's the affect that you're sort of like you're 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 giving off and enabling another person to be sort of in on that sort of that that vibe and that persona like how Lakeith Stanfield uh describes is that you are basically taking on a persona that um abides to a certain mentality within a society that you not only have uh, a an assurance of socioeconomic stability but also an assurance of of continued success within that realm and it's not something that just it, it it's specific to white people but has traditionally been a sort of affectation that is afforded Why are you to, looking at me is, is afforded to white people you know it's like and yeah. so here's my question about that really yeah. quick and i feel like this is even a... what he even said even white people put on a white voice oh i know Everyone knows the customer service voice. Yeah, everybody knows the customer yeah. service voice. Right, right, right. And and it's like... Um, Sometimes I genuinely think to myself, am I white enough? <laughs> there's there's this... Uh, what, what is it? What's his name? His name is... Tay- Robert Paulson. No, his name... Stan. No, his name... Like, there's Hi. The, there's this guy... My name is... What? <laughs> there's My this, name is... We all went very different directions. Who? <laughs> so there's this, this guy... My name is... <laughs> Okay. There's this guy on, on YouTube that I don't know if you've ever seen before, but like he has, he, he buys. Is that the guy who cried at the Japanese suicides? No, no, that's okay. not. No, that's, I was gonna. I thought you were gonna say cried about Britney. I was like Chris Crocker. <laughs> that guy's pretty wild. Man, that's a <laughs> sorry. Okay, um, that's weird. Uh, we're really getting off topic here. Guys. So Those are YouTube no, people. I'm, I'm explaining. I'm explaining the the quote unquote white voice. Yes, like it's. Yes. There's this guy. Yes, black person, please explain them to me. There's this guy who was taking out all these YouTube ads a, ads a while ago, where basically he would open and it was like, "Oh, hey guys, like just bought my new Lamborghini," and would po- point to them like behind him, like I don't know if you've ever seen this guy. And it was like, "Oh, check out these uh this this shelf filled with all these books and stuff. Can you see how successful I am?" Why does and, he sound like Hank Hill? And basically <laughs> just just 
cultivated himself into being like this self-help guru that gave off this affectation of of success. But and I, and actually, I think, he doesn't own a Lamborghini. Exactly, he doesn't own a Lamborghini. I don't know who the fuck's house this is. He always films it in different houses, and he's always like selling, like upselling shit all the time. But he's somebody who takes on the affect of a white voice of like giving somebody an assurance of like he's like this sage like like self-help guru who can help you like get to what be you want. I want if you don't want to be more white, you want to be more like me. You want to be more like me. You want to be successful. You want to have those Lamborghinis. You want to have that shelf full of books. You want this cool house, don't you? That's that kind of vibe. Yeah. I I can see that. I guess my main thing is it's interesting to hear that response from Bruce Riley cuz then I wonder and I feel like this is a weird conversation because then we almost get into like an argument or not an argument, but like the discourse of like what makes a white voice like which obviously you could have a discourse about, mm-hmm. but it also gets into a weirdly personal perspective. And it also gets in. in I like how this film juxtaposes two different um two different performances of not necessarily race, though race is an a part of this, it is an inextricable part of it, but mm-hmm. also two performances of socioeconomic background and disposition when it comes to not only the white voice, but also to Cassius's uh, performance in uh, Army Hammer's like mansion. So here's something I will say. So it's interesting that you talk about the the idea of confidence because that is obviously a big thing in business, mm-hmm. uh, especially something like telemarketing. Mm-hmm. Where you are trying to give off this confident delivery, uh, I know some that really quickly, Nick, that you hated, uh, and I actually agree with you, uh, is when we saw Cassius like fall into people's living rooms. Yeah. Oh, you didn't like that? I thought that was really neat. Yeah. I felt like I thought that introduced the surrealism of the movie in a pretty good way. I really liked it. I'm. I, I would say I'm always hit or miss on that kind of. Uh, uh, it makes for good trailer fodder. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. There were so many things I saw in the trailer, and that was one of them. Where I'm like, in movie, I'm just like, uh, because I felt like that was surreal for the sake of let's do this, so that way we don't have to film a boring scene. Yeah, if they you only, know, like in our thing is too, if they only did it once or twice, it might have been okay. But since right. they did it like four times, it got a little repetitive. What if it was like yeah. a cutaway? Like, um, I guess this is sort of a reach, but like the green hornet uh scenes from edgar wright where it just like it's a cutaway where it just like it shows like two scenes at the same time i guess like quinn tarantino does that not edgar wright fuck that's been a minute but obviously it's very michelle gondry-esque because obviously uh he even references michelle in this movie Mm um so yeah the thing about the the desk falling through uh, and whatnot. I felt like there was just like a slightly more almost elegant way to do that kind of surrealism. Like, and this is just an idea. I don't mean like this should the solution, but something like what if Cassius appeared in the actual event of what they're doing. So if they're having dinner, he shows up in the chair next to them, or if they're having sex, why can't he randomly show up in the bed naked and uncomfortable with how he got, you know what I mean? Like, because that is such a mundane image of, I don't know. It just didn't quite work for me. Yeah. Uh, for especially for it to be repeated ad nauseum for for that first montage. It was just kind of a random offshoot from what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, but you see in this film somebody like Army Hammer, who although plays the slave driver very well, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> he also has a very 
powerful white sounding voice whereas Patton Oswalt and David Cross have a very nasally nerdy kind of not bicycles yeah um so I thought they were actually very I mean I'm sure on purpose but very interesting choices for the confident I mean the idea that David Cross is supposed to be this confidence inspiring voice Mm. knowing who David Cross is is kind of odd that's why I'm curious about Bruce's explanation because i'm just like who does he see these voices like it's Patton oswalt and it's david cross who are people who have made a living only playing creeping weird <laughs> pathetic lower than you know like like he didn't go for like john ham or someone with like that silver fox kind of voice That's what i'm saying like army hammer would have yeah. made sense in that voice i guess i would reason that for me it's, it's somebody the that joke sounds... of the nasal thing is almost made obsolete by the time they make way for comically high-pitched white actors. I, w- I would say that the reason for the casting of David Cross and Patton Oswalt is because they're supposed to come across as happy-go-lucky, but not intimidating. And I'm with you, which not is why my, not I the, pretty much that's a really love good point. the right. casting choices of them. I'm just more confused by Boots Riley's own explanation, which... I've always been of the mindset that I don't give a fuck what a director says mm-hmm. as far as like how I see your movie is how I see it. Right. And that's only my opinion. So I'm totally fine with what he says. I'm just – I have a complete disconnect from right. how he got there. But I'm glad he did because I think that those casting choices were actually brilliant. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely love those voices. Yeah. But I think they work more as a comedic uh, gag than yeah. an actual pointed like this is the – the white voice you aspire to. I want to talk a little bit about the social utility of memes and how that's actually incorporated into the in, into into the film. The the have a have a cola and smile, bitch. Yeah, meme. I thought that was really funny. Like I okay, so excuse me, Tucson. No, go. I just it was like I feel like when movies reference direct memes it can be done like the memes that the films themselves create on their own i feel like it can either be done really well and used in a really good way where it's like okay this is this is when we reference it and that's it or it can just be not good i feel like this movie kind of did it in a good way where even cash was getting annoyed that he saw himself and his hair and his bandage mm-hmm. as a Halloween costume. Right. And he couldn't believe it. And literally, like, it just, it was him, like, reacting poorly to himself. Mm-hmm. And it just, like, it, I don't know. It's just, I, I think it was done really well. I story. thought that it was interesting because we're actually taken through the life cycle of a meme in that it just becomes this this innocuous, like, one-off thing that happened at a rally and next thing you know you learn that the person who threw that can ends up getting a promotion deal with those people who produce that soda and is actually yeah. in a commercial that has a magical floating can that hits somebody in the head and then they make out it i, I that that commercial and that whole concept is basically what, what you're talking about anna where you have movies that tried to make explicit reference to memes and it just doesn't work out but that was sort of that film's interpretation of the infamous pepsi 
riot commercial where I don't remember who her name was, but she just got a Pepsi and decided Kylie Jenner. Yeah, Kylie Jenner. She decided yes. to cross the picket line and give it to a give oh it to gosh. a cop, and then that dissipates the entire riot. Well, and for me, I was gonna say it more reminded me of in the way with a lot of protests happening mm-hmm. in this day and age where they are co-opted they're co-opted and uh but not only that but then they become more real than what they existed as before so like a, a protest happens pictures are taken people attended but a protest is a protest it's a body of people but then the pictures not leak but spread mm-hmm. and then people start identifying people in these pictures and then they become almost minor celebrities in and of themselves mm-hmm. in usually a gross way and yet and sometimes in a satisfactory way like when, right. when Nazis get fired from their jobs and yeah. whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but that kind of how these moments are now like they're, it's weird it's like this is one of our one and only tools to live in a free society mm-hmm. is to be able to document it because then we can prove, you know, the validity of things that happened. Mm-hmm. And yet we are also complicit in our own police state <laughs> existence in which we can no longer exist as a group voice, but is that much easier to pick us off one by one. It's been it, it's it's this and we're all going to die. It's this. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, then there's. I mean, upper, it, it's, uh, eventually. It's this whole Thank system of, of <laughs> memification and how that has sort of inherently commodified discourse, either monetarily or culturally. So by, by the end of the movie, I hated the phrase uh, "shut up and whatever." Have a have a have, have a, a colon, colon and smile, bitch. Smile, bitch. Yeah. Just as much as I hate. Um, the videos of people shouting "fuck you" and the p- "fucker" and the "pussy" uh, yeah. in in you know news segments. So yeah, it did its job in the sense that uh, it felt like its own tired yeah. <laughs> uh, stick in a good way. Yeah, and the the scene when uh, when Cassius is is apologizing to his friends and talking about, I was like, I thought that this would actually change something if I actually came forward. I think that one of the most salient and on-point things that anyone has ever said is, uh, what's his name, uh, Stephen? Squeeze. Squeeze. What Squeeze says, like, if you show people a problem and you don't give them an actual solution, then they don't do anything about it. They just accept it as another, like, mm-hmm. as another part of their reality. Yeah. Set back even further because now yeah. it's normalized. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. So before we get to the horse cocks and yes. all that let's talk about that well before uh <laughs> let's let's do a little prelude to that which is uh horse the... vagina mm, let's no. table that nope. for a okay. different episode Sorry, i thought that's where you were going yeah <laughs> and talk about the party scene uh which involves army hammer mm-hmm. uh and he shows up and this is right after the scene with um the art the performance art, yeah, the, art scene. The, the, yeah. the art gallery yeah uh, and he shows up, and he's doing the white voice, and the obvious stand-in for Common is there. Uh, <laughs> Damn. Uh, when we were in the theater, my boyfriend was like, is that, is that Jordan Peele in an eye patch?" And I was like, no, Tim, it's not. Damn, Tim. <laughs> Damn, Tim, no. I, <laughs> I was like, I, that doesn't look anything like him. nothing like him, Tim. But he was just somehow, like, tricked for a second. Black, I was okay. like, uh-uh. Black, black, I, I, black. The TSA agent was Hannibal Buress uh, from Get Out. <laughs> yeah. Like the very first time Did I watched that. Wow. To be fair, they were both pudgy black 
foul mouth. Yeah, there's with glasses. Two. Yeah, I was gonna say I wasn't yeah. like completely. There's a type. Off yeah, base I, there. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, not the same, but I've mentioned this before. For the longest time, I confused um, Patrick Swayze and Kurt Russell. So well, that, <laughs> sorry. Pretty, pretty easy they're white. They're yeah. easy to. You know, I thought yeah. you were gonna say Patrick Swayze and Denzel Washington. <laughs> oh, wow. Same guy, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so like you're saying, that scene, uh, which is the party scene, mm-hmm. uh, I thought was by far the best scene of the film. Mm-hmm. Very off-putting and awkward. Um, specifically, three moments throughout that scene uh, when Cassius first meets Army Hammer's character, and he says, "Hello, Mister Whatever his name is." He says, "Oh, you don't have to call me that." He's like, oh, "Okay, Mister Lift." Well, he calls him his first name. Yes. Who said Steve. I could? Call, who said you could call yeah, him that? Yeah, uh, that was just wonderful. Yeah, and then almost to make it even more, he completely says, "Oh, I'm just kidding." Yeah, you can Which, call me whatever the fuck you want as long as you keep on selling those things. Like, yeah, yeah he's not kidding. Uh, and then um, I actually thought one of the most horrifying to me, and this is a movie that had people turned into horses. Mm-hmm. Uh, horrifying parts uh, in the film is where he gets sat in front of the fire and all the white people are staring oh at him. Oh my god. Um, that was... I bet you bust a cap in a couple folks, dude, huh? Yeah. That was so... And then we have... Uh, what I think will become a somewhat infamous scene mm-hmm. uh, where he's literally standing on the steps and just yelling N-word shit, yeah. N-word shit, N-word shit yeah. over and over and over again. And at first, most people's faces are just like in awe of it. Yeah. And then after like a couple yeah, verses... Yeah, we're getting into it! But you know who never gets into it? Army Hammer. Yeah. Army Hammer and then um, <laughs> Mr. Bleep. Yeah, Mr. Yeah, Bleep. He yeah. definitely didn't like it either. I thought that was pretty poignant too that Army Hammer definitely was just like not enjoying it which i appreciated that he was the one that stuck out in that scene mm. that he did not react to I it not notice that. i think yeah. yeah interesting yeah i really liked that and how terrifying is it to just sit in front of a room full of people that are expecting you to entertain yeah. them? well and the, and, the, and the fact that it's just a room. put on your black voice yeah yeah, yeah. that was that was again uh, this movie and i think that's because that like cut the shit and got to like a real moment. Oh yeah, it, it reminds me of yeah. like interviews with Tyler the Creator and like how he has like an existential moment when he is like rapping about the shit that he raps about and like he looks out at a sea of just white faces and I'm just like ah, oh, and they just keep on singing along with me. It's like ah, oh, I don't how the fuck do I reckon? Yeah, it, it's like that. So. Yeah, and then we get the uh, fucked up moment when he goes down to the basement. And, oh, yeah, the Bacchanalia. And, um, it, yeah, man, that just, that whole thing just, and that video, that was the closest I feel like we got to get out because I feel like that video was, for the most part, from the same production company. It felt like that did the get out production where mm-hmm. it's like, welcome to our white farm. Yeah. This is where we have black people come in and we take their bodies. Yep. It's like, holy shit. Yeah. We breed them to be studs, literally. <laughs> um, two things I want to say about that scene really fast. When uh, Cash is getting directions on where to go in the mansion to meet uh, Steve Lift, right after he finished like explaining the directions, I was like, I wouldn't have remembered that. I was definitely expecting Cash to be like, where do I go? Because I didn't remember, like, those six directions. So yeah. I'm sure that was, like... Well, later I'll... on, that gets paid off because that's how he discovers the horses. Yeah. Right, yes. Um, granted, those directions are a little shorter. And I said then... a purple door. That's a green door. Exactly. <laughs> I really liked the obscure reference. Rather, not necessarily obscure references, but very specific names of colors for the doors. Mm. Because I mm-hmm. thought that was a really good 
way to just create the the reveal or the twist that we end up getting because jade gets confused with olive who refers to those two colors in that matter and then also who chooses to paint their doors in various close shades of green crazy white people also bacchanalia chambers exactly and also magenta magenta is like the worst color for a door and the i don't even think the door he went through was magenta it didn't look like it was to me door was holding the horse people was it green i think it was green it was Olive. It was Olive, yeah. But he was supposed to go through the Jade door, and instead he went through the See, Olive door. See, that's funny. And I don't think this is actually... I want you to explain this. See? I don't think this is technically at all what's being referenced. I don't care. Yeah. But um, before Deep Throat was a, a hit, as in the world of pornography becoming a public mainstream thing, uh, or if not before, maybe it was a year after, but one of the actual bona fide hits of the Golden Age of Porn was Behind the Green Door. And that is about, uh, well, there's no real plot, obviously, but the general, <laughs> I know, but the general plot was that um, there's a crazy club and a woman is going through all the doors and it's a crazy, it's like all her fantasies. And the very end is the green door and behind the green door is an African-American person to have sex with. Oh, I'm going to have to look this up. Maybe, maybe. I'm going to have to look up I just this relation to this movie. I'd now. be curious to know just... If that See, at all, I, w- this, I this wouldn't is be something surprised that you should bring up at like uh, a, a film dinner, festival, a and you could be that nerd. Excuse me, um, <laughs> when your character mistakenly went through the green door, <laughs> was it at all a reference to the infamous performance by uh, May he rest in peace because he actually just died a, a month ago, uh, Johnny Keys, the fantastic african-american porn star um and his resolution with the character in behind the green door that movie is so famous in the world of porn that a movie by anthony spinelli called sex world in which couples go to this kind of disneyland like world where they get to do whatever they want like the people interview them and then they're like okay when you get to your hotel room you'll have what you ordered type thing um one of the characters in that movie is this very prudish, bookish girl who kind of doesn't want to be there, but also she just doesn't really want to say what she just has a fantasy of. And her fantasy is literally when they finally get it out of her, she goes, well, have you ever seen the movie Behind the Green Door? And they go, oh, okay. And when she goes back to her hotel room, it is Johnny Keyes in the exact same costume from Behind the Green Door. So like, that's how famous that movie is. In that circuit. This, anyway. is like, this is like me with anime, only with you, and I'm very happy that you're able to have this. I just also <laughs> me too. Oh yeah. I just also realized Cassius Green's character's name. So different yeah. different shades of green. Yeah. yeah. So So anyway, now you know. So when we my do my super short show. Oh, oh my god. Wow. Hit me right in the nostalgia, Nick. <gasps> That's old. Oh. Damn. Yeah. So when we do finally get to the the big reveal of what's going on here mm-hmm. uh, with Army Hammer's little organization uh, and and everything that happens with Cash there towards the end and then everything with with the horse people, um, what was everyone's feeling on that direction of the film? Because it obviously took a somewhat different tone from from the rest of the film. But also at the same time, seems like a pretty plausible solution to where the rest of this film was going. I mean, I, I've, I've already sort of like signaled this in my opening uh, remarks. I mean, I thought it was very shocking and it was very much a what the fuck moment in the theater. 
Um, I sort of enjoyed that shock, but as it sort of dissipated and I thought more about it, like in hindsight of watching the film, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not really all that impressed with it other than out of, out of shock value. Like it doesn't really give me a lot of, it doesn't, it doesn't give me a lot to chew on. It, uh, it, 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 it kidding me? There's a lot there. To um, uh, yeah, I knew as soon as I said that <laughs> you're going to make a, make a joke, but yeah, okay. Um, but it, it, I, I don't should have said that in your white voice. I don't. <laughs> well, I don't know how to like look at it any other way. It was like it's it's like uh, it it uh, I'm not going to do it anymore. I was say you're <laughs> yeah. you're yeah. starting to float out here. Yeah, uh, it's, it's like Tom Hardy trying to do an American accent. Right. It's not oh going well. I can't see that and not see it as anything more than a blatant like, and then then like a a, a blatant realization of like a workhorse analogy. Workhorse. He's just a workhouse. Yeah, you're just a workhorse, right? That's that's all I thought it was. I mean, and, uh, yes, and, I re- I really like that. And yes, it, it, that's that's fine. But like, compare that to like the white voice and how much dimension you can like draw out of that. I feel like this seems like a step down almost. And I know that sounds crazy to have like fucking horse people with their fucking cocks hanging out and shit being a step down. But like, I don't know. Anyway, what did everybody else think? Um, I thought it was. Okay, I feel like I can't really make a direct comparison, but it definitely reminded me of the movie Soylent Green, Mm -hmm. where the twist just ends up being these people get harmed for the benefit of others. Yeah, the means of production. Exactly, for the means of production. this didn't have anybody rocking away saying, Soylent Green is people. Mm -hmm. Well, no, because that's the movie Soylent Green. (laughs) Yeah, fuck off. Yeah. God, sometimes Man, I, I, like, I seriously want to take the movie posters <laughs> we have in here and just bash them over you. The, the equivalent, <laughs> the equivalent of, of that in this case seems very mundane. Even the case of like horse people is like people are being abused in order to fulfill our like our, our capitalistic economy. needs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm just like that's where this movie nah, becomes like a shit. fantasy, and yeah. I just don't understand. Yeah, I'll well, continue. That was a joke. No, that, that's all I had to say. Though. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that the twist was wonderful mm-hmm. for its shock value, for its randomness. Uh, before then, I felt like I was only getting things like, you know, the desk falling through the floor into other scenes where I felt like I've seen this before. And mm-hmm. even if I've seen, you know, uh, the same kind of template of that third act as far as, you know, with any kind of weird science fiction movie where something might be happening that's evil, you're going to get a big reveal of like, yes, it's very evil. But the utter grotesque uh, nature of it all was just kind of hilarious and also horrifying. Um, So I I really appreciate it, especially because it makes no sense. Like, it's not like if you rewatch the movie and I know there are references to like horses, like in the, you know, some of like the paintings and whatnot mm-hmm. in, in his mansion or whatever. But mm-hmm. in general, it's not like the, this is like some weird horse dependent society like soil and green mm-hmm. where like, that's like you were living with soil and green for the entire movie. So when mm-hmm. you find out, I, I like the, just the ridiculous, uh, randomness of this whole thing to the point where, that's also what makes it work. Like, I feel like when things get revealed in this day and age about, like, our commander-in-chief or uh, other people in power, and you hear about 
the shit that happens. I feel like what makes most of them okay is we're like, well, I guess this is now the weirdest thing that's, you know, so-and-so has ever done mm-hmm. because it doesn't get weirder than this. And, like, if it was any more mundane, we'd be like, well, that's not okay. But because it's so far out there, we're just like, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't think I'd have to wake up today and figure out how not to transform into a horse and mm-hmm. how to reverse this procedure right. on our entire uh, labor society, I, the right. proletariat. Yeah. I, I so. will say, um, I did actually love the mid credit scene when they just show up at his house <laughs> and they're like, "I did too." Yo, motherfucker, sorry yeah. to bother you, but <laughs> that was the greatest Marvel scene. <laughs> that is setting up a "Sorry, we're back" <laughs> movie that I really want to see. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like your comment about the commander in chief and something that you said in your your opening remark just reminded me of something that. Boots Riley talked about in one of his re- interviews is that people keep on given given the the time that actually... I was going to say I'm not trying to really draw parallels between like Trumpism and right, 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 because right. that is what is happening right now is in no way rooted in Trump. Yeah, I mean he is certainly shining a lot of spotlight on right. it. But this he's a is, symptom of something yeah. that is is much more endemic yeah. throughout our culture. Like so that's like the first time, and we're almost done with this episode, that I'd even like try not to mention his name. Right, I know. But this this original script was like the first draft of the script was written in 2012 during yeah. the height of the Obama era, and it's like these these things. He, he talks about how people tailor or, or or talk about sorry to bother you as being another great satire for the trump era yeah. and I'm just like he's like knows like this isn't about trump this is about capitalism yeah. how it's shit and this is just a system that has predated that this is the system yeah. in which trump was able yeah. to come to power this is Not the apotheosis that, of yeah. that culture but like this culture has existed for a very long time yeah yeah no yeah for sure yeah and um yeah so we good to go to final ratings? Oh, yeah. All right. Um, I guess maybe... You want to go first or last? I'll go first. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to give this a... And I was thinking about this on my way to the studio today. I was like just trying to... like Thinking about like a reappraisal of it. Mm-hmm. I still think that I'm going to stick with my original uh, score, which was a three and a half out of five. Just because... I like this film. I really do appreciate what it's going for. I don't think that all of the elements necessarily cohere into a satisfying package. For instance, I think that the last act, like not even including like the whole horse transformation thing, like afterwards when they have the showdown with the, the, the riot squad for the last time and all the things like come together. Like I know they were, they're pulling from these, these elements that were, Hinted at from the very beginning, like the uh, the quarterbacks and Detroit's um, old like insulation uh, yeah. pieces and stuff like that, and the whole wigs and how that sort of like came together. I thought that was a really cool culmination of all those previous visual elements. But after Cassius gets knocked out and he wakes up in the back of the paddy wagon, he's looking out at the through the slits of of of, of the of, of the truck, and he's seeing like all this chaos that's going on. It feels like uh, it feels like that that one scene from Game of Thrones where Tyrion gets knocked the fuck out during a battle and he wakes up because they didn't have yeah. the budget to show the battle. 
kind of feels like no okay and i'm saying that's accurate but i would also right. put it one step further and maybe make it even more close to home but it's like what if do the right thing didn't end with the riot but ended with you know um and then the riot happened well i was gonna say with what's his name the character who mm. like inspired radio <laughs> oh <laughs> um, shit you know what i'm talking about the one no. who's got the, who carries the boombox i think so yeah yeah no he doesn't carry the boombox the one who's mentally challenged. Yeah. But what if like that he has a radio, radio? So you're right. Yeah. Kind of reminds me. Anyway, continue. Yeah. <laughs> they're both black. Okay. <laughs> and they're both. Are they? The <laughs> mentally challenged. Guy? Wait a minute! Oh my god! It's been a it's been a minute since I've seen. First of all, the guy in Do the Right Thing was inspired by the character in the stage play Fences, who's okay. also mentally challenged. Okay. Who literally sees the trumpets of the mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Anyway. But it'd be like if that movie, which that movie is very much known for, mm. that tension boiling over into that culmination, just followed that character as he just walked away as it started for no good reason. Yeah. Yeah. And I just felt like that was... Yeah. I would say that because this felt like the closest thing I've seen to a Spike Lee movie mm. uh, in years that Spike Lee himself would probably not have the mental faculties to make anymore. Damn! I'm saying I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that's that big of a hot take. At uh, one time, he was this kind of let's voice. Let's say directorial faculties. Mm. Spike Lee's made some shit. He yeah, he has. He, I, uh, I, he has. I just feel like his anger and political consciousness has surpass what it was whether it's bad or worse it's mm-hmm. no longer in the same place so i'm saying this is very much in that same vein mm-hmm. of trying to aim it at the man quote unquote and the divide whereas i feel like spike lee has gone so far up his own ass and that now again is now like he is the django of his own story <laughs> <laughs> okay that makes sense yeah <laughs> okay okay yeah um, but yeah, that's my that's my final rating, three and a half out of five. Boom, very good, Anna. Okay, um, I'm going to go with my initial rating, which I felt walking out of the theater, which is three out of five. That I, <laughs> sorry, Nick is passing around a picture of Johnny Keys. <laughs> I like how you do that. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, look at that mustache. That's a man's mustache right there. <laughs> nice. I'm also sorry. got a man's woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> I would assume so. You don't get casted as the black man behind the green door if you don't got a No. I didn't you know don't. that wasn't he like sick or something? I feel like he Like in real life. Yeah. Oh. I feel like he maybe. probably was. I think that sounds about right. I watched a documentary with him like that came out a few years ago mm-hmm. and I recall him possibly being sick or maybe he was just very old, I'm not sure. I mean he just died last month, so if he <sighs> was sick he was sick for a while. Yeah. Uh, but that could have very well be. Hmm. Well, R. I. P. Anyway. <laughs> Before we start talking about Johnny Keys again, um, Um, my initial rating of this movie, which I'm going to stick to is three out of five. I appreciated lots of things about this movie. I am a sucker for like a setting that is done really well. Like Toussaint had also piggybacked on. It's like the clear dichotomy of what this part of Oakland is with when, um, cash and Detroit move into a very clearly like nicer, living space that is in a better part of town and then also oops um when cash <laughs> upgrades his car <laughs> sorry i accidentally like 
just slightly tapped like Alex's laptop, and now I'm getting roasted so hard. Well, also Nick is also like <laughs> almost giving like a Jonah Hill performance over here of <laughs> being beaten. Yeah. <laughs> Tucson doesn't even know what's happening. He's reading something on his phone. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Tucson actually has not been present for this podcast. I have been doing a Tucson voice the entire time. Except for his white voice that was done by... That was done by Anna. (laughs) Meep. Oh, my God. Okay. Sounds just like that coyote. Oh, wait. Was it the coyote? Wiley? Wiley the coyote? Who is it, Roadrunner? You're thinking of the Roadrunner. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yep. I get them confused. I don't know That how. one's a coyote and they're one's a Roadrunner? always in the same cartoon, so, you know, sound effects. Yeah. Are... But they're but, completely different animals. I know, but, like, anytime they're, I've ever experienced They're Looney foils Tunes, for one another. I yeah, was always foils. listening to it, not actually watching it. Uh, so, yeah. anyway, gotcha. continue. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So... So there are so many things that I liked about this movie, including the setting. Um, I just want to take a minute. I think, like Alex said earlier, Tessa Thompson has been in so many things. Whoever her agent is has been doing an amazing job because she's been in a lot of good stuff. And I think she's been good in everything I've seen her in just, recently. Just recently. I mean, you talk about later this year, she's going to be in Creed 2. Yeah. She was in this. She was in, I think, every episode of the last season of Westworld. She was in Thor Ragnarok. I was going to say, and, she was in Marvel movies. And, she was in Annihilation. And Annihilation. Yep. And I just, I think, like, I... She's me, been getting work. Yeah, she's been getting a lot of work. So, work. so... Work. So good for her. Um, and I really liked her in this movie, too. I feel like nobody else really could have have done it as well as she does. I mean, I think technically you could cast any person to be, like, an artsy girl that wears, like, funky clothes and jewelry. But I feel like she did it really well. Um, and then, unlike Nick, I do appreciate the surrealist moments of Cash Cash's desk falling through the floor when he's making his first calls that... You're never going to be good at um, your first few calls anyway. Especially when you're talking to a woman who... Is very good. Answers the phone while she's having sex. That happened in a porno I watched. (laughs) And I'm not joking. I'm sure. Uh, I actually... The bereaved... Are you talking about the bereaved woman? I am. okay. And I'm also (laughs) interested because I'm wondering if she was being entirely serious or if she was fucking with him. I was trying to figure that out too. Like, was this woman making up a story to get this person off the phone? A lot of people make up those stories not to get them off the phone, yeah. but to fuck with them. Oh, my God. I know. I do this, like, when they call, and then I'm like, yeah, yeah, what do you... Oh, my God. My dad just hung himself. I have to go. <laughs> like, I try to keep it light, so that way they don't ask they don't ask questions, but I do need to get off the phone. Like, it's, it's pressing for me to end the conversation. Like I, I mean, I feel, like, I feel like we're we're is the audience supposed to be taking it genuinely? But at the same time, I was like, oh, is she fucking with him. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I don't actually hang up. I just put the phone down and be like, Mom, get get the scissors. <laughs> oh no, God. you know what? Get a knife. No, not a butter knife. And then I just kind of do that for like ten minutes. Oh my god! Eventually, you just hear a chainsaw rubbing up in the background. Oh yeah. my god! It's a real jerky boys over at my house. Anyone know the Jerky Boys? No, the oh. Jerky Brothers? Or the Jerky Boys or Jerky Brothers? I'm sorry. Beef Jerky? No. Oh, my God. They were a prank phone calling duo. Like, 
I think they worked for Crank Yankers when that came on. But they had their own. Oh, my goodness. Well, Crank Yankers are stupid. Yeah. But the Jerky Brothers or <laughs> Boys. That's the point. Yeah. Well, yeah. but the Jerky Boys or Brothers, I'm going to look it up, uh-huh. uh, where they had, like, albums, and you would buy the CDs, and they were hilarious. Let me just tell you. Are mm. those the guys where you don't know their identities? Because there's definitely some so. Crank Callers. I think I heard a story on NPR about them where it was, like, a Crank Caller and, like, to this day, you like Tricky don't boys. you like don't know their identity. It, it, I'm not sure if it's them, but it's definitely like I think someone because they were real calls and they they just put their stuff out as the Jerky Boys, but mm. they were different characters. One of the things I listened to on repeat was a bit in which uh, he called a sporting goods store wanting to return this tennis ball machine that he bought, and the things that he said that the tennis ball machine did to him uh, as the store associate is completely just going with this uh, is just delightful. Mm. Anyway, for some good old 90s comedy, <laughs> look up the Jerky Boys. <laughs> so, Anna, anything else? <laughs> um, I really liked so many, like, just elements about this movie. Um, I do want to see more from Boots, Boots Riley because I kind of echo and what... And also Boots Riley. Sorry. Boots Wiley. <laughs> Boots Riley. His white voice counterpart. Oh, my God. Boots Wiley. <laughs> um, like Toussaint said... This when you're a new filmmaker, you're you basically don't want a new filmmaker their first thing to be their best thing, and I definitely don't think this is Boost Riley. Boost Riley, <laughs> gosh darn it! Because then you Boost get Andrew Mobile. Nicole, yeah. you get Gattaca, and then you get a whole bunch of bullshit. Exactly, His movies suck. They're really bad. I'm, it makes me sad. Didn't yeah. he do that Anon movie or whatever it was? Yeah, it was or... aw- it was awful. The oh, dude yeah, yeah. directed Gattaca, my all time favorite film of all time. And also wrote the script for The Truman Show, which is also fucking phenomenal. And I, I love that movie. And, and Gattaca. I don't know what... And then the 90s ended. Something just, something just <laughs> broke. Something well, just broke inside Well, when the Jerky Boys decided to hang it up, Andrew Nichol <laughs> went into a tailspin. Fuck, man. He's been trying to get back ever since. Yeah. But yeah. Those two offense are directly correlated Hasn't had his other. split moment yet. He so. was like the Alex Garland of his time. Oh, that's not. Well, that's, let's hope that's Alex really Garland setting a poor path yeah. for Alex Garland. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing: Alex Garland, though, paved his way doing a lot of good stuff before he became a director. I'm saying that as well with Andrew Nicole. Like well, he, I mean, he did one script. I think he did some other stuff. Oh, too. did he? Yeah. So, Anna. Um. <laughs> overall, three out of five. Um, I look forward to seeing more from Boots Riley. Yes. My gosh. Um, thank you. I think anyone mm-hmm. ever calls them kinky boots? <laughs> Knocking boots. Kinky boots, Riley. Um <laughs> Nick's was better. Sorry, Tucson. <laughs> um and I Find just I really liked this movie. I feel like Army Hammer I thought was perfect as his character because I appreciate that y'all pointed out that he's like the vocal opposite from um, the white people voices that are demonstrated in this movie. Um, hey, and I appreciate not, like everything about him. Not that I think it's a quite good movie, but I know that both Nick and Toussaint weren't very high on it. Mm-hmm. But Army Hammer is actually great as a slave driver in uh, Birth of a Nation. We were not very oh my high gosh. on it. We were <laughs> not very high on that. That's, I meant like we I were so far that. not very high on, on Army yeah. Hammer. It wasn't just Army Hammer. Well, I thought it was the movie. Oh, no. I, I, Army Hammer's was fine. performance. Yeah. 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 It was good. I think so. Yeah. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Let's not relitigate that. I'm if not. You, if you want to hear about our opinion of uh, the, the Birth, birth of, of a Nation, Nation, check back in our old episode. Yeah. 
That was for the viewers. I mean, the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and Brutes Wiley. <laughs> and his dog, Boost Wiley. Oh. <laughs> Boost Mobile Wiley. <laughs> Uh, Anna, I am so sorry. That's for these okay. Two. Three Please out of five. Continue. You think you'd be used to this by yeah. now? <laughs> sorry. I know. You think I would. No, it's okay. Three out of five. I really like this movie. Can't wait to watch it again eventually. Yeah. All right. I think yes. Army Hammer nailed this. Yeah. No, he did. <laughs> it's Hammer. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Alex. Nice Elmer Fudd laugh. Yeah. That's good. Uh, so I'm going to give this a two and a half out of five. I uh, I enjoyed... Man ratings just keep going down here. <laughs> I, it won't Sorry. continue on that path. Don't worry. Uh, I just did not love this film as a whole. Uh, I thought there were quite a few fun moments throughout here. Uh, not necessarily like fun yay moments, but like, whoa, shit, fun moments. Uh, loved everything for the most part uh, in the creepy Army Hammer house. And also a lot of the moments early on uh, with the telemarketing group. I did love the portrayal of them as this struggling uh, group that are working in these horrible jobs, just trying to live. Uh, the idea of him putting 20 on 5 and it's 20 cents uh, is, is, is something... Uh, and, and 40 on five. I'm four, sorry. Oh, thank you for correcting me. Uh, <laughs> learn to gamble. You learn to do math, Alex. Sorry. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, sorry. but as a whole, uh, the whole script and collection of characters and storylines throughout this entirety, uh, throughout the entirety of the film, uh, I thought wasn't perfect. So two and a half out of five for me. For sorry to bother you. Moving on to Nick, who will probably have the highest rating out of anybody, I would guess. In order to make the circle complete, you have to give it a two or less. That's not going to happen. I mean, not to... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Not to prescribe your rating. Yeah. <laughs> You're your own man. <laughs> not to fulfill your rating to fill my OCD. Yeah. <laughs> have a colon and smile, bitch. <laughs> Did you tell him to have a colon and smile? He colon. totally said colon. I know. <laughs> I heard Colin. I heard Colin. Yeah, sorry. The fuck is he, Jack the Ripper? Nah. The fuck is this? Uh, <laughs> you could also go Hannibal, but whatever. Nick, please keep your rating. Enema of the straight. Okay. Straight? Straight. <laughs> you said straight. I, said I feel like this episode is Everybody's Alex clearly mishearing everything everyone says. I'm not the only one. I heard that. I'm not the only I one. I heard that. He said straight. Yeah. You I was, said yeah. Booster. I was gonna say state. Bruce and I was gonna say somebody. street, but then I was like, no, I meant state. Anyway. Tucson mispronounces yeah. everything. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. Huh? I'm not the only one. Yeah. Okay. Stop talking go. about Martin Luther King, right? Oh my um, god. <laughs> I very much enjoyed this movie. Yep. I thought it was uh, very funny. Uh, I thought even if its package is not complete in some ways, uh, I thought its message was. Uh, just wonderfully handled for the most part, yeah. and, and I enjoyed uh, hearing it. Um, I I will say what's great about Boots Riley is that he he's made a film that's just another entry in a long lineage of uh, black movies that have dealt with the same thing. Um, 
Putney Swope. I've I've heard about that. Yeah, that's, I've got that I, at home. I didn't great. know anything about that. Yeah, that's Robert Downey Sr.'s uh, movie, oh, okay. uh, in which that is about an ad man, uh, an ad man who goes to work for an advertising agency, but the black actor is dubbed by a white actor for the purposes of the entire movie, mm. uh, satirical wise. Yeah, and it's extremely surreal. I mean, there's an there's a whole random, like the movie's in black and white, mm-hmm. and then there's a scene in color. Where it's a random detour of this commercial in which a uh, boy is singing about seeing this girl's beaver, and <laughs> my God, that sounds random because it is random and it's a very random movie, but yeah. it's a lot of the same themes. I want to watch uh, this. Well, we can, we will definitely watch it. Yeah. Um. So anyway, uh, getting back on track. Back on track. Uh, I thought for the most part this was very good. I thought all the performances were fantastic. I'm. I thought the white dubbing was very funny, but also I was, I, I don't know. I, I think I just watched too many badly dubbed movies to get over movies that even intentionally badly dubbed because then I get tripped up on that, especially because it's 2018. So, like, we could have had that a little better. And if we're doing it for a particular reason, clearly that reason did not stand out to me well enough uh, for me not to just be like, why why can't we get this a little tighter? Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, only because in-universe they kept saying that's your voice and how are you doing that? Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't know. Anyway. Um, before we close this out, I would just like to mention something that I mentioned earlier before yes. we started recording. Um, if y'all use the hashtag, sorry to bother you, there could be a chance that Boots Riley sees it or whoever runs his Twitter and retweets <laughs> you because that's what happened to me. So... You heard it here. You should tweet <laughs> with that hashtag yes. and tweet about our episode. And when then a bot mm-hmm. will retreat it. We tr- retreat, it. Re- retreat it. Retreat it. Retreat. Retreat. <laughs> ah, and then Boost time. Riley will retweet yeah. you. And it'll be a treat. Fucking uh, Russians. <laughs> so I, I would give this movie uh, three and a half out of five stars. Okay. I very much enjoyed you it. You ruined Anna's OCD. Yeah, no, that's I okay. did it's that on all, purpose. It's all full circle though because that is true we, we're back where we started from. yeah so in that in you know, this case in my mind that makes no sense so technically me and you should have had the same rating anna you know. ruined it you had the same <laughs> oh of course it's me kind of like an ebony and ivory i'm just kidding but it can't be what i say does not matter in perfect harmony it can't really be ebony and ivory because tucson's only half so well it's close if if nick was half black wait which one is which which one is which? <laughs> which one is which? Which one? Like, which one? Are you saying like there are parts of Tucson that are not black? No, no, no. I'm saying which is ebony black or yes. ivory black? Yeah. Ebony is are black. Are you serious? I generally... Who the fuck says the word ebony? Ever? You don't know what ivory is? Ivory is white. Like the tusks okay, that's of what an I elephant. Figured. That's what I figured, but I've never heard ebony. Who You've never ebony? heard Ebony. That's interesting okay. that you've never heard of that. Am I crazy? Who says Ebony on a daily basis? I mean, basis? nobody, Ebony's but a magazine. like... It is a magazine. See? There you go. Well, you learned something okay, new yeah. today. I mean... But for I, black I, women! <laughs> so you're saying that song was written about the magazine? No! Exactly. It's a word! It's a what I'm trying to say synonym is, for black! When was the last time that word was used in your daily... Mm. I will say... Oh, uh, yeah? You're going around saying, oh, look at this shirt. It's no, no. Off shade no. of Ebony. Uh... <laughs> Wait, Sir, <laughs> please get out of his eyes, odd. Yeah, it is a <laughs> commonly used uh, term for black women uh, in porn. Yeah, I think so. 
So then why don't I know that? <laughs> That's kind of why. I oh, was... you know why? <sighs> because I'm watching the golden era of porn, and frankly, that was very white. They didn't. I was uh... going to say they didn't cast black women then. You had to either be behind the green door <laughs> or not in front of the camera at all. Anyway. <laughs> I, think, I think we got it. Yeah. I think we got it, guys. Yeah. I think that's all we needed. Yeah. There was a black actress in Boogie Nights. Yeah, in Boogie Nights. I've never seen <laughs> That was Boogie not the I've most accurate. I've never seen Boogie Nights either. Either yeah. of you? Mm-hmm. No. Woo. So I would like to. That's thinking, not PTA's best work. I've been thinking about watching Boogie Nights like for an episode for mm-hmm. this. Yeah. But I'm also like trying to hold off because when we do, like I'm going to bring props and show you like who Mark Wahlberg is clearly based off of and like here are some films that he was in and pass it around. Yeah. Which oh, is yeah. helpful only to the people in the studio. Oh, absolutely. But I want, you know, whoever's here to have that moment. <laughs> it's a long movie too. Yeah, it is. You need to commit to it. But a lot of a lot of really good acting performances. I agree. I agree. So, so if you have any thoughts on um Boots Riley's first film, uh, which is Sorry to Bother You, please send them to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Coming up on our next episode, we're going to uh, talk about the new Mission Impossible film, which is Fallout, uh, the sixth in the Mission Impossible series. And um, frankly, the series is just getting better, so likely there's going to be lots of rose petals thrown at the feet of Mission Impossible in the next episode. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen it yet, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's uh, got a chance to be uh, pretty good. Do you know yeah. what the original title for this movie was? Mm. Mission Impossible Fallout Boy. <laughs> <laughs> so Sorry. from uh, Nick Cheney. Folia undo. <laughs> From oh Nick Cheney. Am I more than From you bargained the for? Tree. Yeah. <laughs> yes, always. That's great. Anyway, uh, Tucson Egan. Yeah. And Enabotazadu. Yeah. Yes. Thank you very much for joining us, as always. Thank you so much for having me on again. It's always a blast. I'm. I'm sure you're somewhat joking. <laughs> I'm not. Oh my god. Um, I'm Alex Diekman, and thank you very much for listening to us here on Film Tank. We will catch up with you. Catch you next time! Next time.